Hi everyone. Today I am talking to an amazing occupational therapist who is also a fibromyalgia patient. Her name is Dr. Bronnie Lennox Thompson. She has incredible insights for anyone living in, with chronic pain, whether it's from arthritis or any other cause. And I can't wait to share her journey with you and for you to learn from all the insights she's had. Let's get started. Hi, my name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks to how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. So Dr. Brani, will you please introduce yourself? Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. So as soon as I open my mouth, you will know that I am not from the United States. Oh yes. <laughs> I'm from Christchurch, New Zealand, um, and yeah, very, very fortunate to be living in New Zealand in these times because I think we've got down to single digit, well, we've had days without anybody with COVID-19, wow. so we're feeling really fortunate. Yes. Um, great, grateful that we're a little tiny island in the bottom of the world, nobody knows where we are. <laughs> um, yeah, so I am an occupational therapist and um, I have a psychology degree and I've worked in pain and pain management most of my career. Um, I started off by looking at people returning to work and it just so happened that most of the people that I was working with, pain was the main problem. Um, and so I got fascinated by pain and it's kind of taken over, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, just in case anyone watching this doesn't already know what occupational therapy is, do you have like an elevator speech that you like to use? Or <laughs> how do you, since you work with the chronic pain population, how do you normally introduce maybe and describe occupational therapy? Um, occupational therapy is about helping people do what's important in their lives. It's mm -hmm. the doing. So we're interested in the practical, everyday little things that make up being a human being. Um, so we are about um, routines and habits and getting dressed and doing the grocery shopping and going to work, all the basics. That's what occupational therapists are about. And I think that's because we believe that in doing, we're expressing who we are. And by expressing who we are and how we do, we, we continue growing. Wow, that was really good. It actually sounds better with the New Zealand accent too. I'm like, oh, it sounds so, that's beautiful. I loved that definition. Um, and is there uh, a particular reason you went into the field of occupational therapy out of curiosity? You're going to laugh. Okay. So when I was um, in my seventh form, which is our final year of, of high school, mm -hmm. I applied for um, physiotherapy, for occupational therapy and for a social science degree. Mm -hmm. um, and I got into all three of them, but the OT oh, one came in first. Hmm. So I didn't think I was going to get into anything. So I immediately accepted it. <laughs> and 
and went and and then I got on the other two but I was actually really grateful that I chose occupational therapy not because nobody knows what we do because nobody can describe occupational therapy and you know yeah, briefly succinctly yeah. um but because I think as a physio I would have been one of these militant you will do it this way and that and I'd be I'd be horrible um whereas I think what I really love about my profession now, and I've had moments mm -hmm. of not liking my profession at all, um, is that our versatility, our passion for meeting people where they're at and moving at their pace. That's our job. And it's right. not so much about the, the end result as partly our partnering in the process mm. of helping people work out what works for them. I love that. Yeah, that's something I love about occupational therapy as well. And I and to different, I mean, to differentiate it from PT, sometimes I'll say that, you know, the treatment plan from the skin in, like the muscles in for the same injury might look the same for physical therapy, but for OT, it's what that muscle is doing in the person's world. You know, what are you, yeah. it's going to look different, you know, if five different people break their elbow and have to rehabilitate, if one's a taxi driver and one's a chef and one's a teacher and one's yeah. a computer programmer, yeah. we're going to do something totally different. Yeah, you know, with each one, which makes it really creative, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we've got to be really flexible because we're getting involved in people's lives and yes. they're the expert on living their life. It's mm. not my job to step in and say, you've got to do it this way. That doesn't work. So it's all about how can I help you express who you are in the way that you do stuff. That's so stuff. great such a good word for everything. <laughs> I know. I love it. No, it's so practical. I mean, honestly, it's better than I even thought it would be when I went into the field, you know, of, of occupational therapy. So it's been, um, that's been fun for me to kind of discover. Um, yeah. And how did you find your way into the pain world? I'm curious, because it's not usually people's number one, you know, they don't go into OT. Usually they want to work either with like cute little kids or people with strokes or, you know, classic yeah. Areas. But, yeah, I started, um, I worked in older person's health and mm -hmm. I really, I loved doing that and I loved group work in mm -hmm. particular because it, um, that was a really important part of, you know, older people relating to one another, learning yeah. from one another about what might work for them. Um, and also the process of, of occupation, doing things together is such a human thing. Mm -hmm. um, I got into pain because I was working in work rehabilitation and most of the people that I worked with, persistent pain was the main problem. Mm, um, it was a, that was the barrier to getting back into work of any kind. And so I started to explore what, what it is about pain that gets in the way. Um, and so I got fascinated by pain as a, as a whole area. And it's kind of become the thing that I'm most interested in. And, and it continues to absolutely fascinate me. It's, it's intellectually challenging. There's so many developments, so much to learn. And it's about yeah. the whole person. You can't treat pain. You're treating the person who's living with the pain and helping them develop a life that allows pain to be present without necessarily trying to get rid of it or just, you know, it starts to be who you are. Yeah, yeah and it's such a counterintuitive um, at first proposal to say, wait a minute, no, I'm going to go to the health professional because they're, they're going to fix me and make my problem go away. Like, it's like you have a sore tooth, you go to the dentist, you know, yeah. they make it better. 
but with pain, um, I'm wondering how to form this into a question, <laughs> but um, like um, I can hear because I have an approach that I love as, as well that you know way more about than I do, which is ACT or acceptance and commitment therapy. I can hear that in your description of pain. Um, so how did you get introduced to ACT as a therapeutic model? That's, a, that's really interesting. So I've worked for some years in a multidisciplinary interprofessional program. Okay. So I worked with physiotherapists, psychologists, medical practitioners, nurses, social workers, mm -hmm. and other occupational therapists. And so I was really trained in CBT. Which oh, can, can you, uh, we'll just describe CBT as cognitive behavior therapy. Yeah. 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 Cognitive behavioral therapy where we look at people's thoughts and beliefs about what's going on and help them rethink through, check out the, um, the validity, the accuracy of those statements. Mm -hmm. And then we try to help people develop a more helpful way of viewing what's going on. Um, and it's, a, it's related to behavior as well. So we do lots of goal setting and planning and prioritizing and that sort of thing. And then I started to read some more around um, acceptance and commitment therapy from um, Lance McCracken and Kevin Vowles, oh, yeah. who are both really prominent researchers. Mm -hmm. And I started to see that, well, from my own experience, I have depression and I also live with fibromyalgia. Didn't realize what's fibro until quite a few years after I'd been living with it because I just thought it was grumbly old back pain and mm -hmm. happened to affect every other part of my body. Um, right. But I then realized that, you know, my thoughts about my pain were actually quite accurate. Um, mm. Yes, if I do this, I'm going to hurt. That's not, um, that's not an inaccurate or maladaptive thing. It's right. a reality for me. If I do something that's out of the ordinary, I'm going to hurt and I might need to change how I go about my next step. Right. And here was CBT telling me that that was bad thinking, unhelpful thinking, wrong yeah. thinking. But it's my life. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I learned with ACT that what I want to work out is, is this helping me to be and do the things that matter for me? Mm -hmm. And so I realized that actually it isn't helping me. Mm -hmm. I could look at things differently. I could view my pain as different. And I guess like by that stage, what is about probably 10 or more years ago that mm -hmm. I learned, it would be well more than that actually, when I'm thinking about yeah. it, 1990. Time is when weird when you start, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I started to realize that I had been learning how to live alongside my pain as part of who I am for quite some time and seeing that despite that I was doing pretty much the things that mattered to me and it was okay for my pain to fluctuate if mm -hmm. it was worth it so some of the things I really love to do I like to garden I like mm -hmm. to walk my dog I like to go carry a heavy camera and take photography out in somewhere in the wilds of New Zealand yeah, yeah. and these things flare my pain up and I could mm -hmm. sit at home and not do them right. and feel bad and grumpy and not live. And, or I could decide I can do these things and yes, I'll get a, a flare up, but it's worth it. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was a lived experience of there are times when I do things that I know are going to flare, flare me up, but 
it's worth it because I did this wonderful thing. Right. And I sort of realized that trying to control pain is impossible. Mm-hmm. My pain will do exactly what it wants to do. I can control my life and I can change the way I do a lot of things, but sometimes I'll be compromising um, things that really matter to me, like right. being spontaneous. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not a great planner. Um, I like to do things with a bit of spontaneity. And right. what I was what I've learned is that if I live my life according to what my pain tells me to do and trying to control my pain, I'd end up having this very, it'd be like living by numbers. Mm. You know, paint by numbers pictures? Yeah, yeah. Paint by numbers pictures, and they almost look like a real painting, but they don't. They look artificial. And that was what my life would have been like. Have I, if I, you know, do all this, planning and all of this stuff to control my pain it would be a life but it wouldn't be my life it wouldn't be the way that I want to be so I thought let's make it much more me and I can make the decision in the moment as to what I want to prioritize right now so sometimes and over this last couple of months while we've been dealing with COVID I have been feeling really sore and so I've allowed myself to not do on a, on a particular day because right. I really need to not so much for pain but because the the effort of thinking and planning and organizing can feel overwhelming and right. so sometimes it's quite nice just to go with it other times I can push myself to do something that matters to me like play in my garden or I've been raking up wet leaves because it's um, autumn here and mm-hmm. doing doing things like that that make that are important to me and right. I can just come with it and I can choose in the moment it's so much more vibrant and permissive and not um I don't have these hard and fast rules mm-hmm. you never do this you will, I don't want to live like that well and <laughs> to me and from <laughs> my, in my experience too you know having a painful condition also is that it can be a fool's errand sometimes anyway. So then you sacrifice and you still feel the pain. Exactly. So you're like, you're, or you're like, I remember thinking, I did everything right and I still felt this. Whereas, and that's because I was, for me, operating under the assumption that if you cross off the T's and dot the I's and do everything perfect, you can avoid pain. But it's like, you can run, yeah. but you can't hide. Exactly. I'm uh-uh. with you there. Yeah. Even on, a, even on a day when I'm feeling pretty good, I'm still sore. And yeah. if I just let that rule me, I'm going to live this really little life. And right. I'll still be sore. So I might as well be sore and do things that matter to me. And exactly. all the benefits of doing things that matter. Right. Things I'm passionate about, things that I love. And it's just so congruent with the whole mission of occupational therapy to help people engage in meaningful daily activities, but I think it's, even for me as an occupational therapist and somebody who had lived in pain for a long time, when my own therapist introduced ACT, I was like, what? How's that not settling? Like, hold on. Because it's like we go into the field because we want to help people feel better, right? You have an owie and it feels, you do something and it feels better, but understanding the nature of like a chronic condition that there is no magic wand to make it better there is not and Mm. even 
So, so my partner lives with ankylosing yes. spondylitis. Yes. We've been together for, we've, we're trying to work it out, nearly 20 years. <laughs> wow, congrats. <laughs> Thank you. We can't quite remember because it's time. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Um, yeah. So he has, um, he's had Inkspond for probably, oh, he would have had it for about 30 odd years now. He was quite, you know, in his late 20s when okay. they identified that that was what was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, he had back pain and, you know, most people with an inflammatory kind of problem will wait quite a while before you actually get a label for it. Yes. And he just thought it was, you know, back pain and let's not do stuff and maybe he'll have to have surgery. Well, eventually someone decided that we'll do some, you know, bloods and we'll find out, oh my goodness, you've got all this inflammation going on. So wow. he um, he was really interesting because he's not, he's a bloke. He's an absolute bloke. And he doesn't like to give up. And so mm-hmm. he would just grit his teeth and carry on with mm-hmm. it. Um, and which was all very well until it got to the point where it, he wasn't able to. Right. So for him, it, um, the inflammation's mainly in his intercostal muscles, so all around his chest. Oh, so yeah. Like breathing, taking a good breath That's in. so hard. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Coughing, um, oh. being able to reach up, twist, all those sorts of things. And this, Bo is a, a guy who likes to climb hills. He likes, and he was a high country firefighter. So wow. that's his, uh, and one of his voluntary jobs. So he would go and want to be climbing up these hills. And when it got really bad, he mm-hmm. couldn't. They do pack tests. So he has a, you know, 25 kg pack. And okay, they have to do yeah. speed tests. And, and that's really yeah. hard. Yes. Because if you work hard, your chest starts to, you have to start to breathe more deeply. So right. he was really struggling. Um, in fact, it got to the point where we had to, at night, he couldn't roll over by himself oh, at his worst. Yeah. And so we used, we used real OT stuff. We put a slippery sheet underneath him. Right, <laughs> so right, right. Okay. Oh, that's great. <laughs> right. Nice. Which, which so he's very lucky because he was started on what was then a, a, an experimental drug, a mm. Humira or Adalimab. Yeah. And he got an amazing result. So yeah. he doesn't have pain anymore, and I'm so pissed off. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, it's not a competition until it is. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he doesn't have any pain. Wow. And there are not very many people get that kind of response from the drugs. In fact, I've met lots of people who, with inflammatory forms of arthritis, that have tried a, a biological and it hasn't done the trick. It's been, yeah. we'll add that and we'll add some other stuff and we'll add some That's true. Because I took, side effects. for my first five years, I was in complete medicated remission, but I was on Enbrel and methotrexate. So, you know, it's still amazing to experience remission, but it would be obviously, you know, it, it would be great not to have the side effects. But he's been on Humira for how many years now? And it's still working? Um, about... 10 years. Wow, that's really long for a biologic for it to keep working. That's awesome. Fingers crossed. Absolutely no problems at all. Wow. Um, He knows when his two weeks is is Yeah. Towards the end of that two weeks, he's getting the, oh yeah, my neck's feeling a bit sore. And he does the old 
you know. Yeah, yeah. Like this because it affects his oh, neck. Oh, yeah. So he can't turn his neck comfortably. Right, um, right. But it's really completely reversed that inflammatory process. And it's amazing. So he's mm-hmm. he's been very lucky. But when it bothers him, and he's had a couple of flare-ups where he's mm-hmm. had to try other, other drugs, yeah. what kept Bo going has been that um, he still exercises, he still moves, he still yeah. does stuff. Right. As part of who, you know, as part of living a life alongside his pain. Right. right. That if you stop, your pain just does not go away. But right. the pain makes it a bit harder to get on and do the things that you know help. Right. Because it kind of knocks your motivation. I know that so well. <laughs> I know. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, so for those who don't know, and I'll put this in the show notes, that, but, um, you know, ankylosing spondylitis is a, it's similar to rheumatoid arthritis in the, um, it's in the umbrella of inflammatory causes of arthritis, yeah. aka joint pain. Um, and yeah. similar to, you know, um, psoriatic arthritis is in that category. They're actually now renaming also, there's um, axial spondylitis, yes. which it used to all be the same category, mm. but now that's separate from ankylosing. Anyway, so yeah, there's a lot of these different kinds of inflammatory, meaning like the immune system is in, involved. Oh, um, yeah. But to take mm. a step back really quick to your story, um, just for those, because I think fibromyalgia is something that not a lot of people, um, or maybe not everyone knows about, or they think they know, but they don't. So yeah. how do you describe, how would you describe fibromyalgia to like the general audience of people? Um, widespread <laughs> pain. Widespread pain yeah. without any inflammation. So you can test me, um, give, do my blood tests, and I don't have any increased inflammation. Mm. You can test my reflexes, they're normal. You can give me nerve conduction tests, and it's normal. You can scan me, and it, I'm normal. Yes, I've got a bit of osteoarthritis, <laughs> but that's not the same as right, right. Um, it's thought to be a change in the way the nervous system processes normal mm-hmm. inflammation. And nobody is very certain about how or why it affects people. Yeah. It's got a number of other um, symptoms, some of which I have from time to time and some that, you know, yeah, bother us all. Yeah. Um, most of us have really rotten sleep because oh. we don't go into the deepest sleep as easily as other people. And that was one of the earliest signs Hmm. that people found that said that fibromyalgia is not the same as um, osteoarthritis. It's different. So we have widespread body pain. We can, um, it's usually in all four quarters of the body. So if you divide your body into four bits, you'll have some sort of both shoulders and, you know, both upper limbs, both lower limbs, back pain, neck pain, you can also right. have things like um, irritable bowel. That can be secondary right. other problem. You're probably prone to um, having headaches, particularly mm. migraines. Um, I twitch all night. So oh, I, wow. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to be like, huh? <laughs> My face yeah, I know, weird. it's weird. Yeah. Um, no, I just didn't thought, think that would go along with it all. But Yeah, it's another one. Um, the body is... The foggy cognition, so you can find it harder to focus, to concentrate, to think straight, yeah. um, and to remember stuff. 
So yeah. lots of people find that quite, they call it fibro fog, where you just yeah. like a bit slowed, a bit um, like you have a hangover without the delight of actually yeah yeah. That part. <laughs> I've, yeah, I'm, it's what's funny is I've never been a drinker, but then I was put immediately on methotrexate. So then I was like, okay, well, I guess I have an excuse not to drink. But, but I, I, I've, I know what you're talking about, that brain fog kind of. Yeah, yeah. And the fatigue yeah. that goes with. That was going to be. Yeah. I was going to ask about the fatigue, if it's the same like with the in, other inflammatory. Oh, very, yeah. very much. So I'm a bit of a nana. I, I'll go to bed early. I have yeah. this sort of shocking sleep. and then I wake up um, by shocking sleep. I mean, I take a while to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I will wake up a couple of times in the night. Um, I've got much better at it. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a real problem. Right. And right. I wake up quite slowly. And I need and love, relish my full eight and a half hours of sleep. <laughs> I literally thought about making a course, maybe we should do this together, called Sleep Divas. Like, <laughs> I am the ultimate princess. I, I mean, my husband hasn't called me a sleep diva, but he could. And I would say, yes, I am. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm very... I've got to have my bed the right way. I've got to have yeah. my pillow. I regularly beat my pillow up so that it yeah. fits just nicely around my Perfect. bed. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. right temperature. Right, yeah, right. That. So, so those are probably the key um, hallmarks, I think, is the most yeah. important is the widespread body pain, the, the fibro fog and the, and the sort of fatigue are probably the, the most important things. But it can be, um, so my cup of coffee that I'm very slowly yeah. drinking, yes. I'm, I'm very sensitive to the temperature. So it feels mm. peppered to other people. It's lukewarm, but to me it feels hot. Mm. So things like um, because my nervous system processes vaccination. So yeah, so every sensory piece of information, whether it's light or sound yeah. or touch, tends to be interpreted more quickly by mm-hmm. my nervous system. And I didn't realise this until I realised that I was turning. So in, in running the bath, we have. Um, a hot tap and a cold tap, and the hot tap gets really hot. And I, I've always, all my life, put a, a face cloth over the tap to turn it off when it's been running for a while. Oh, okay. Huh. And I didn't realise that was weird. Yeah. Until, <laughs> and then um, getting things out of the oven um, or holding on to my coffee cup, I just have to be, I have to be mindful that although my mind is telling me this is really, really hot, let go. Don't let go. Don't yeah. let go because it will fall. It feels really hot. Um, noise environments are hard to, to deal with and light. So if I go into a really busy mall, shopping mall, I can just oh. feel over, yeah. over ended really quickly. I have that with light as well. I had it then when I got a concussion in 2016. Oh. It made it worse. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's rough. Um, but yeah, I... I uh, I was aware of some of that with fibro, but not um, the sense the sensory across the board. That's mm. really really interesting. That's kind of a hypersensitivity. I wonder if anyone in OT is studying that further, like from the sensory world. Probably I someone. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I've looked at the um, adult adolescent sensory profile. Oh yeah. No, and and I know my tendency, which is that. I would like to shelter myself from too much stimulation. Right, right. So I probably 
what I do is I just titrate, just add in how much I can deal with. And I know how now to say, I've reached my limit, stop. Right. Right. Um, But it takes a long time to feel okay about that because humans have this need to belong and to be like everybody else and not different. And I didn't want to be different. Mm. I didn't realize that some of the experiences that I had were not what everybody else experienced. Right. I just didn't know that other people didn't get bothered by noise as much as I do. Right. Um, And as my fibro has kind of evolved, um, I used to, I grew up in a family that loves curry. So my parents were missionaries in India when I was little. Oh, wow. And so we used to live, we used to have curries really regularly. And I used to really love them. Yeah. I can't cope with the chili as oh, much. So I've sad. had to not, not have it as quite as spicy as I used to. Just right. Right. Your well. system has just really calibrated in a sensitive yeah. manner. Yeah. 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 Well, so I, could, I like, I'm a, I'm a princess. I like yeah, princess. No. just right. Or, or what is it? Um, the baby bear, not the baby bear, the mother bear, mother bear. Oh yeah. So yeah. Hot. Yeah. Too hot, too cold. I know. Yeah. I don't know what this says about me, but I like my coffee to taste hot. So I keep reheating it all morning, like over <laughs> and over and over. I like it to be hot, <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, something that I'm thinking about as you're talking is, um, in, in general, you know, you have a lot of experience with pain from the patient perspective, obviously, or the patient meaning like you live with pain, um, whether or not you're seeing a provider in any given moment and the provider perspective. Um, what are some misconceptions about pain that you would like to take time right now to giving you a platform to tell us, or maybe, I mean, anything you want to say about pain, I, mean, you could, I know you could talk all day long about pain, but yeah, what are some of the things that maybe you often see people miss? Uh, yeah, not understanding about pain. pain. <laughs> I think there's a misperception that if you understand the mechanisms of your pain and you have it explained to you, that magically your pain will go. It doesn't That's work. I know so a lot true. about pain. I still have pain. And there's this sense that um, if you know the mechanisms and it doesn't go, then obviously you really want it. Ooh, yeah, I don't like that. You really want pain, seriously. Yeah. It's like I, although I use Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Act, I don't talk about acceptance because that feels like, oh my God, I've just got to put up with this. Mm -hmm. To a certain extent, I do because I don't have a choice, but because I don't have any, so no medications are effective for me. I've tried everything, nothing changes my (sighs) pain at all. So I'm kind of. Well, it's it's okay actually. It means I don't have to have side effects. That is true. Yeah, every drug has got its side effects. Yeah, but it does mean that um, you know I want to put more into my life so that it's worth living. Otherwise, I'm just going to be boxed in by this thing. Yeah. And there's this really for some prof- health professionals, the feeling that they can't offer you something feels mm. difficult. It's really hard for them because if we think about, so I teach fifth year medical students. They've got, um, they're in their last year of full-time lecturing and stuff, Mm -hmm. starting to enter clinical clinical world. So that in another two years, they'll be graduated Mm -hmm. and they'll be starting, you know, working in hospitals and things and getting their skills. 
and they have learned throughout their training that they've got to be right. They've got to have oh, yeah. the answer, and they've got to, and it's got to be the right one. Mm-hmm. And frankly, there isn't one for living with pain. There are a whole bunch of different answers that will suit different people at different times. So I call it finding wiggle room. Mm. So I have a, um, I'm trying to see if I've got a Chinese finger trap somewhere around. Oh, uh, yeah. Possibly not. But so I have these finger traps and I say, let's put your fingers in the finger trap and try and pull out of it. And we can't do it. So that's what most of us want to do when we're sore. We want to get out, break free. I want right. to break free. Don't, <laughs> don't get me singing. <laughs> it's okay. But, hey, I'm always singing. You can ask my husband. Yes. <laughs> um, so what works to get out of a finger trap is a whole bunch of little wiggles, mm. little movements, and everybody does it in a different way. That's a and great what analogy. Works for me today might not work for you, but I'll find a combination that helps me. And I might not actually get out of my pain, but I might find ways to live despite the fact that I've got this happening, which well, is what I think I've done. Right, right. And another thing that that reminds me of is, at least the way I remember it is, when you pull away, it it doesn't work. But when you push in, it does work. It does start loosening. So it is almost that leaning into, not leaning into the pain, like, oh, I'm going to feel more pain because I need to be like hardcore. But but being willing to experience. Yeah. Like being, I think for me, it took a long time in in my therapy process of really realizing how my, even though I consider myself somebody who lives a very full life, you know, despite my condition, I really had conditioned myself to orient away from pain constantly. Every, it seemed like so many little tiny decisions every day. I don't want to do that because of this. I don't want to, and not just yeah. physical pain, psychological. Oh, that, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be too anxious if I do that. Or I'll, you just don't realize. And I think what Russ Harris has done so beautifully with the happiness trap, anyway, this is just me to, you know, rambling, but um, is that he's described how the paradox that the more you try to seek happiness and positive feelings, yeah. the more f- you're set up for failure, you know, and yeah. just to yeah. accept it's actually alleviated a burden for me to, to accept. I know the, the word acceptance is tricky, but to be willing to, to accept the concept that my life will include pain and it will include yeah. n- negative emotions or bad emotions like anger and frustrations. They're not failures on my part. They're just part of life. You know, they're just waves. Yeah. I can wrap those things. Then I'm not able to appreciate the, other things so yes i have pain but when i move with freedom i can feel really free like this is my body and yes i know where all my body parts are even though they're sore actually that shows that i know where my body is lots of people Mm. don't even notice where their body is how their body's moving or sitting or whatever and i have that ability to right but i also think um with pain one of the things that people want to to do is to give you like this recipe and exercise is the thing in fact it's not unknown for people attending a pain management program to all be given now go to the gym go to the gym and do your exercise this person has never exercised in their life and doesn't like the gym pick me I do not like the gym. It is full of sweaty 
scary lycra clad men and mirrors and loud music and i hate it for a sensory hypersensitive person that is like a nightmare yeah 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 so what do i do and what do i do with people that i work with let's find out what you love to do and let's find some movement opportunities Mm -hmm. not exercise but movement opportunities that you can build in to your everyday life Mm -hmm. like I go walk my dog doing my housework which I'm not a good housekeeper at all um, but doing that is an opportunity for for me to feel my body do some movements gardening Mm -hmm. is a fabulous whole body movement dancing I dance, I I belly dance and I yeah lots of lots of types of dance and each of these things are things that I can have I can choose today or I can choose something else tomorrow I can have as much flexibility all I need to do is to give myself some opportunities through the day and that idea that there is one special set of exercises that will do it for everybody or that exercise as it's determined by somebody else because so often it's thought to be well you'll do three sets of 10 of whatever exercise it is you're given um that is not that doesn't work for everybody right movement is fabulous it's really good for our bodies especially with inflammatory problems because it reduces swelling it actually reduces inflammation it increases your mobility it hurts a bit at the time because that's what happens but at the end of it you're left with this toned really good body but it it doesn't have to be this rigid you will do this it's almost like a military (laughs) military camp well and then it's another kind of setting you up for failure because then if you're given this expectation that if you do xyz you'll feel better and then you do it and you don't feel better then you're like well what's wrong i did it you know, so you followed all the rules, and it's not fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's hard. Mm, I, think it's it a, I think if you know, I mean, you, so in your in your work, you work with people who have had who have been able bodied. Some of the people you work with as an occupational therapist have been able bodied, and then they experienced an injury, right? Yeah. And then other people have already experienced chronic pain. Is that right? Like they've yeah. had. So, do you notice sometimes that the people who I would assume that the people who um uh who are only recently injured may have that idea of okay just tell me what i need to do and i'll just do it and feel better like like this yeah or maybe i I don't want to be over general but yeah yeah, i think by the time people get to see me because i see people with the sort of end of the journey very often so fairly far down the track Mm -hmm. um they are getting to realize for themselves that everything they've tried has had a cost and some of the costs are indirect just the fact that you've got to wait between appointments you have a scan or something and then you end up having to wait for the results and then wait while somebody decides what they're going to do and then wait for the treatment to happen if all this waiting gets in the way of because we kind of i'll start life once I've, I've done this once I've got better mm-hmm. well, what happens when you don't get better and mm-hmm. I find lots of people are waiting and waiting and waiting and 10 years later they're still waiting for something to happen to take it all away and that's fostered by some of our health professionals right particularly so take our 
our fifth year medical students who are taught that they've got to have the answer right. and they don't know what to do, they are sort of flailing about trying to find something that nobody else has offered mm-hmm. instead of saying, actually, this is how this is as good as it gets, but I can help you get a better quality to your life. Right. Um, it's scary to say that as a as a health professional that I don't have anything to offer you. I heard that. Um, I was 22, 21, 22, mm. and I'd had chronic pain for two years by that stage, chronic back pain at the time. Ooh. And the doctor, um, I'll never forget him, and I just owe so much to him, the rheumatologist Mike Butler, and okay. he said, um, I'm sorry, but there's no medication, nothing that's going to take this pain away. Mm. And I was gutted, you know, I was young. And yeah. I thought, I thought to myself, I'm going to have to live like this forever. But what he gave me was, he said, read this book. It was called The Challenge of Pain, and it was written by Malzac and Wall. And he kind of obviously cued into the fact that I'm a bit of a geek and I like to read. So it is all about the gate control theory of pain. Mm. And it helped me realize that, yes, I heard, but this is not about doing harm to myself. Right. It's just pain. It's still pain. I don't have to like it. Right. <laughs> I don't right. like my pain, but right. it's just pain. It's just noise. It's like hearing um, the wind blow or knowing that my eye color is brown and I'm short. It's <laughs> just part of part of being a human for me. And I learned that I can do stuff anyway. So that part was really good. And I mm-hmm. would hope that more health professionals would say. I don't know what to do next, but I'll be with you, as he was, yeah. to work out what to do. So he, he gave me the book. I went away. What he didn't do at the time was help me learn how to live well with pain. Right. That's my lifelong journey. I'm still learning. Every time I run a group with a bunch of different people who've got pain, I learn something new, which right. is cool. And no, I don't like pacing myself. I hate it. I'm a terrible pacer, which is, you know, pacing is one of those things we're supposed to do. It's been really good right. for you and you're going to live yeah. your life by chunking everything down into these little bits. But actually it's really, it's awful <laughs> because can, you have to stop. <laughs> well, yeah, it, I think it just depends on your own patterns. Like if yeah. I tried to pace myself perfectly throughout an entire day, I actually wouldn't be able to get as much done as if I take advantage of my body's natural rhythm, which is I'm a morning person and I get really tired in the afternoon. Pretty much whatever I do, I'm still going to have that afternoon crash. So I kind of, you know, I pace myself within the morning, but, but with the expectation that I'm going to run out of steam at around two in the afternoon and then I make, I bank on resting and recharging, you know? So if I paced myself all day, like steadily just for some the concept, you know, of pacing, it wouldn't really make sense. But actually, because you, you, but I wanted to uh, ask you more about the program itself. Um, can you walk me through a little bit of like maybe either like the day in the life of you as an OT or maybe the program itself, whatever one's. Yeah, do it all. <laughs> so, so the group program that I run is based on acceptance and commitment therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's six weeks and it's a bit constrained by our funding models right. that's the way it is and the last group was run half 
face to face and half online. Oh, right. um, and it worked really well. So I'm pleased with that. And it was face to face was prior to the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're just yeah, we got about three three sessions in. So six yeah. sessions So the first session is really a chance to get to know one another and to realise just what a journey we've all been on. So we talk yeah. about pain, we try to get um, some kind of understanding between us as to what what's going on with pain why do things like my emotions affect my pain why does stress affect my pain why do these drugs not work for me you know what's what's going on there and what it's like to be have this invisible illness that nobody's looking at you can tell yeah that's Uh, huge just acknowledging that i had yeah. I didn't hear of the phrase invisible illness till I'd had rheumatoid arthritis for like over five years. And I was like, oh, I love that. How many people are in the group, by the way? Just for the OTs um, who might up be. To, up to eight. Oh, I don't okay, like nice. to get bigger than that because the group, okay. um, I've found, I've done groups for a long time. I found that splitting groups, groups split up into smaller chunks when they get too big. Mm-hmm. People start, you know, having little groups. I'm in that group and not that group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I stick with eight. And okay. it's, um, it means I can give time to those people as well. Right. Um, so the first first session is really saying, so we have tried all of these things and it's not working. What right. can we do? What else can we do? What's going on here? So it's kind of in, in getting ourselves aligned as to what this pain is like and what, we understand about pain and that's mm-hmm. a, something we do together so I mm-hmm. don't tell people we we've all got enough um, experience we've all been told lots of different things about pain and I want to help people make sense of the stuff that they've been told mm. for themselves it's not my job to explain somebody else's pain because right. everybody's pain is quite unique to them right that's so validating I, I imagine oh, that yeah. Like, oh yeah and okay. to realise that, that in a group of eight people or nine, because I'm in there as well, that every one of us has probably gone through really similar stuff, like mm-hmm. trying drugs that don't do a thing right. or getting the brush off from a, a clinician who really doesn't know what to do next mm-hmm. or having family members who look at you as if, oh, what's wrong with you? You know, you just want to be lazy. You want to just, get attention. Yeah, you're just milking it. You're just, yeah, yeah. That's the stuff. and realizing too that things like sleep are a problem that mm-hmm. the everyday frustrations of things like getting clothing on um cooking a meal these are just everyday life hassles mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we all deal with and that is right. often not ever acknowledged um people don't ask about how well, how do you prepare a meal when you've got achy mm. hands and sore shoulders and you're tired mm-hmm. at the end of the day and somebody asks you what's for dinner and you roll your eyes and go, oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, so at the end of that session, we go away with, um, I leave people with the thought that, so if, if pain's going to be a thing, if this mm-hmm. is as good as it gets in terms of changing pain intensity, but it was less of a problem for you, mm. what would you be doing? Right. Pain isn't such a problem, but you still have it, but it's not such a problem. What would what would you be doing? So I'm inviting people to dream a little. Yeah. And this is where it's magic because you see people come back the next week and you ask them, What 
what would you be doing if pain wasn't such a problem? And they get this light in their eyes and this, well, I'd be, and they'd say, I'd be, you know, playing playing football with my kids. I'd be um, cooking. I'd be out at work. I'd be, you know, yeah. cycling. I'd be doing all these things that, that are wonderful and fabulous. So the second session, um, we start with that. What, you know, what would you be doing? And then we talk about activity scheduling because, because although I don't like pacing, I do know that sometimes knowing your good times and your not so good times allows you to schedule accordingly. Right. And if you can avoid overexertion yourself, you'll probably have a little bit more left over, left in the tank for those times when you do feel like your pain's overwhelming and it's a bit much. So right. just talk about um, what happens if you completely avoid and you do nothing. And most people will agree, well, actually, it feels like it feels terrible. I'm just right. doing nothing and I'm still sore. And then we talk about the booming and the busting, which is yeah. a favorite of mine. I do it. You push yourself really hard and then you crash. And yeah. then push yourself and then you crash. And so we talk about what that's like. And right. you might do that. Because if you talk to anybody um, in the States in the week before Thanksgiving, yeah. you can bet everybody's rushing around like madness. Right. Because we do that because we rush around to do stuff and then we crash, right. whether we've got a chronic illness or not. So to expect people with um, chronic pain to live that rigid, structured life where you never flex it up and down is rid ridiculous. And I've yeah. heard people get told off because they don't pace as if it's this Magic. <laughs> or like as if pacing is going to completely solve the problem like if it completely <laughs> solved the problem then of course we would do it like <laughs> precisely and yeah. sometimes other things are more important right like right. i want to be able to have this fantastic meal with my family so i will rush around like a headless chalk and do that right um, right so we and then we talk about um what about these people who are constantly going at the really high level Mm. And then they catch the bug and they just crash. Mm -hmm. So it's people who really overcompensate and then all of a sudden reach that tipping point and then they crash and it's really hard to get back up again. Yeah. Not that I'm trying to say any way is better than any other, but right. to help people reflect on what their choices might be, the good and the not so good about okay. each of these options. Right. And then we talk about how might you, if you're in one pattern, how might you change that pattern? What might, you know, because you know if you go from doing nothing to doing a lot, you're going to get payback <laughs> really bad. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> what can you do to increase what you do? And most right. people will be sensible and they'll say, well, we'll just do a little bit more each day or we'll mm -hmm. stick at a level until that feels okay and then we'll nudge it up a wee bit. So I'm trying to use what people tell me and the way that the group feels to come up with solutions that work inside people's lives. So at the end of that session, we set a mission because we don't do homework. No oh, I like that. Mission. We have missions, should you choose to accept it, which is why my ringtone. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so what's your mission? And it could be around, well, I've decided that if pain was less of a problem, how could I start doing something that makes me feel more like me? Or 
what could I do to, to play with, to experiment with different mm. ways of structuring my activities? So off they go. And then we begin the third session, reviewing, well, how did it go? What happened? No, there's no failure. There's just a chance to learn. What would I do differently? Right. What did I learn? What worked well? What didn't work well? Mm -hmm. And how might I play, play it up again next time? Mm -hmm. So the third session is, is looking at the choice point. So I mm -hmm. use choice point as my key way of helping people make decisions on the fly for a life that looks more like them, more mm -hmm. like who they are. Helps people make decisions about what matters in the moment. So for those of you that don't know, the choice point is stopping to notice what's happening at this very moment. In my next step, am I going to do something that's going to take me closer to being the kind of person and living the kind of life that I want to have, or is it going to take me further away? Mm. So in that moment, I'm also going to have some hooks, some things that will hook me in and make me think, um, oh, I have to do it that way because that's what everybody expects, or I'm going to do the thing that takes me away from being who I want to be because of some something, some mm -hmm. expectation or mm -hmm. something like that. And then we've got helpers as well. What could help me make a choice that takes me in the way that I want to go? Right. And so we use that as a really simple tool to help people make decisions throughout the day. It means noticing. Mm -hmm. So it means mindfulness and noticing. And so we do lots of that. Um, in fact, I introduced that in the first session, just some noticing. Noticing yeah. your breath, noticing some sounds, noticing what your body feels like. Because lots of people with pain actually don't want to feel what their body feels like. Oh, yeah, yeah, guilty. I had that. When I first started doing mindfulness, I was like, I don't like this because I, I I'm noticing my pain. Thanks. It's really bothering me. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah. no. But then I, yeah, it, yeah. it's a process. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes people, instead of not wanting to go there, actually obsess over it. I'm just going to notice this really sore part and I'm not going to notice the, the rest of my body is actually okay. Nice. So we talk about giving your left earlobe some love. Mm -hmm. When was your left, left earlobe given some love? <laughs> when was your belly button given some love? You know, when do you notice those parts of your body that feel great? Right. So we do that quite a lot. Um, but noticing is that part in, in the choice point of just noticing. So say I'm trying to eat better because, you know, COVID means you eat lots of chocolate and drink far too much alcohol. So in this moment, what do I really want? Do I want right. to lose weight? As I've got type, type 2, 2 diabetes, mm. pre-diabetes. Mm. Well, I think I've not got it anymore because I've lost a lot of weight because I've been able to say in this moment what matters. Right. Grabbing for that chocolate that I know I'm going to adore or actually working towards not having diabetes which mm -hmm. one which one matters more to me in this in this moment so sometimes I can say yes I'm going to have some chocolate because actually I it feels good mm -hmm. other times I'll say no I don't have to I can choose not to so I just try to teach people that process of stopping and noticing so as my hand reaches towards the chocolates <laughs> mm -hmm. I can stop in that moment and think right 
what's my best next best step a right. towards move or an away move so that's mm -hmm. our third session and in that in the end of that session we go through what do you want to use as your choice point how many times you're going to use choice points throughout your and maybe mm. we use choice point for some of the people that I work with find it really hard to stop. They don't like yeah. sitting and doing nothing. It's not what we hear much about. We hear so much more about people who avoid movement, but there are just as many people, I think, who push themselves really, really hard and feel guilty and uncomfortable just stopping. Hmm, and, interesting, uh, yeah. You know, they keep busy all the time and almost oh. a feeling. Mm -hmm. So to stop and notice um, can feel really uncomfortable. So maybe we can practice that. So right. we, we play lots of people set their own mission to mm -hmm. integrate using choice points sometime at some place in their life during that right. coming week. Then fourth session, we, we talk about... Um, Ah, this one's the sleep session. Mm -hmm. Sleep and sex session. We, oh, we have to have a sex session because, you know, yes. you just have to. But yeah. we do talk about sleep because most people with persistent pain find that their sleep is rotten, at least for a yeah. while. Yeah. And we can blame that poor sleep on our pain, but it seems that it's possibly less the pain that wakes us more that when we wake up in our normal fluctuations of alertness is over the course of the night, when we have pain, we wake fully instead of just mm. waking a little bit. And then we find it harder to fall asleep because it's harder to wind the body down a bit. Right. So we just talk about some sleep practice that we can use. Some people will have tried a lot of this stuff before. Right. So we use a mindfulness approach. And we also talk about... Um, you know, sleep hygiene can be quite rigid. It says you will have a dark bedroom. Yeah. It will be cool. Um, it will be very quiet. And you will, um, you know, you will stay in bed for 20 minutes. If you're not asleep, you will get out of bed and you will go and fight and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> which is, you know. Yeah. So it's very ruley. And it's not always... Well, there can be some funny consequences. If somebody's learned that they've got to fall asleep and the room's got to be absolutely quiet, yeah. and then you stay in a hotel with the air conditioning, yeah. or you stay at a friend's place and there's a train running by, you can't mm -hmm. get, you, you find it hard to fall asleep. So right. I teach a more mindful approach, which is let's just notice that, yes, that's going on, but I'm resting my mm -hmm. body. Rather than fighting with and struggling to fall asleep, which does not work. Let's just notice. No. Let's right. just notice that I'm resting in, in bed and I'll notice my breath. And actually I fall asleep much faster that way anyway. Yeah, yeah. I found that too. Yeah. And then at the end of that session, we talk about well, what might you try out of all the different things that we cover in the sleep session or something else that's part of um, your living more like yourself. Right, right. Then we go to um, who's on your team. Oh, but what about the sex part? We don't want to miss that. Oh, the sex. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it can either come in there or come in in the who's on your team. Oh, oh okay. Part, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it can be one or it can be one or other. But let's put it into the into the who's on your team. So, who's on your team is going through all the people you've had to tell your story to, mm. and not everybody that you tell your story to is going to be. The person that's going to get it mm -hmm. and the fact that 
we do disclose a lot to other people about what's going on inside us, but it's really reciprocated. So we don't mm. know as much about our health professionals as they know about us, right. which makes a power difference between yeah. us. And yet we are two people coming together to try and sort something out, trying to right. work out how I'm going to live the life that I want. So surely we should be on an equal footing. Hmm. I'm an expert in my life and the health professional might be an expert in drugs or something else, exercise, for example. But ultimately, I want to, us to learn how to collaborate, which means hmm. coming together. So we go through all the different people and we talk about family and we talk about how we might express how we're feeling. Um, I haven't used a code word yet, but I was listening to Linda um, Crawford OT talk about code words. So when you are at that point where you've had enough, you might say asparagus to your family (laughs) member and they will know I'm just reached my limit right now. I need to go find somewhere quiet to be. Right. And just in a non-confrontational and agreed way, signal, I'm just going to take some time out or I'm just going to do something to look after myself. Mm-hmm. I really like that. We talk about that. We haven't yeah. used the, the code word, but we will. We've mm-hmm. talked about just setting those boundaries, realising that my pain's my problem, that somebody looking at me can't tell that I'm sore. Mm-hmm. So me to expect them to anticipate that they know what to do and when to do it is probably a bit silly. Mm-hmm. So I need to be able to tell them and take ownership of how I want other people to respond to me. Right. So that means being straight up. So we talk about mm-hmm. clobbering, which is where you clobber somebody with the hem and say, you're wrong, I'm right, go away. You're just, you yeah. Know, You'll never understand. Yeah. yeah. And it's not fair. And yeah. And you should be doing it this way and you should anticipate my every need. That part. Yeah. Or we have pussyfooting. Yeah. which is the opposite. Oh, yes, right. dear. Well, if you want, if you really like, but actually you're seething underneath. You right, know. right. So that's sort of not being, that's being passive. So we have aggression right. and being passive. And then what I hope that we get is to the straight up, mm-hmm. adult to adult, person to person, I'm being honest, you're being honest, and we're owning our own feelings. So we talk right. about that and we practice some, some statements and it's here that we t- often talk about intimacy and mm. what is it like for the family member who doesn't know whether it's okay to touch because we're sore, who feels guilty when they want to have sex and we're saying, oh, not tonight, darling, I have a headache. Mm-hmm. Um, what's it like when we have needs and they feel too scared to reciprocate because they're scared they're going to hurt us? Mm-hmm. Um, what's it like when you feel like you're all touched out and you actually want to say no I just right. need the space so we just talk about that what else can yeah. we do to feel close and loved what are the yes some practical strategies that we can use lube is a thing and it's yeah. fine use toys right <laughs> right 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 no and I think the thing that you were saying earlier about the power dynamic with a practitioner and a in a patient, it can also come into play when one person in the relationship is more in the caregiver role. Yeah. And so then the person who's more having more pain or needing more help feels mm. less 
comfortable yeah. saying no because they're like, oh, I owe this person, you know. Yeah. So I've kind of had that just a few times where I've had to be like, stop myself from thinking that way, you know, yeah. because it's like yeah. it, you still always have that autonomy and the right to, of course, you know. Yeah. And that's yourself. a difficult thing because we do have this sort of balancing set of scales in our head about he's done this, he's done that. I've oh done yeah, this, done that. I'm a middle I, child, I so that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> We do, we do that. Um, we talk about different aspects of intimacy. We talk about how you might communicate. We talk about the power differential. We yeah, talk yes. really about how people can um, take this is my my life, my body, my experience, and I need to own it and not mm. expect other people to mind read me. Likewise, mm -hmm. I'm not going to mind read them. Right. Because, because there's a, a real thing where um, initially, when somebody gets pain, their families sort of, oh, poor you, and they wrap mm. them up in cotton wool, and then families start to feel a bit resentful. You're not mm. getting why not? Um, and then they start to get angry, and then mm. they sort of have an explosion, and then they feel guilty. And then they start doing all that, and I'm going to cut molly cotton you again. And yeah. it becomes this really unhelpful um, cycle of, you know, guilt, resentment, lots of love and TLC and then feeling resentful yes. and then feeling guilt and it just, that's nasty. So we, we just talk about that, that, especially when it comes to intimacy, that, you know, connecting with a partner doesn't have to be um, rip-roaring sex all yeah. the time. Sometimes it's really fun, but yeah, actually yeah. you can feel as close to and loved by holding hands and watching mm -hmm. a movie you know there are lots of different ways of expressing love and that's yes. uh, so I leave people to go away and have a little conversation with yeah. their families and mission also, <laughs> yeah a mission. their mission and it might be um it because we talk about lots of other things it might be that they actually go and make another appointment with a doctor that they're right. saying hold on I don't feel like we're having a good conversation I want to try and make our mm -hmm. you know healthcare relationship better um it might be that they decide to not see um some doctors or some mm -hmm. health professionals that they've felt haven't understood mm -hmm. so out of that there can be lots of different options that come up for people um that become their mission and then the last session their their other mission that they they do on this last week is we have a self-management plan. That is a nice. list of all the things that we've talked about. And because at each session, we, we talk a lot about different strategies that right. might be useful. As we, as we deconstruct each um, mission, we'll say, how did mm -hmm. it go? What could you try? We try lots of, we talk about lots of different options for people. The group come up with them and I come up with them and we just kind of swap notes so on the on that final day they have a two-page um self-management plan that is basically it's their um documentation of the things that help them in detail that they can take with them wherever they go to any health professional to say look i've tried these things these things help me nice. these things don't i'm not going to do those so we don't go around and around that oh have you tried you know yes I still have people say to me well have you tried you know it'll be goji berries or it'll be yeah. some yoga you know, yoga yoga yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I don't mind yoga's no actually I like yoga yeah but you know 
um, actually, yes, I have already tried that. And yeah. by the way, uh, and have you tried this? Yes, I've tried that drug. And no, it doesn't. And no, cannabis doesn't help me either. It's just, yeah. you know, so it's being able to put people back in the driver's seat mm-hmm. of their own pain management, of being in charge of their own healthcare team, of choosing yes, who is yes. not on their team, of being able to make deliberate choices about what they do, how they do it, when and why, instead of having to feel like your pain's pushing you around or other mm-hmm. people are pushing you around, that you stay, say, well, I'm making the decisions and that means I'll wear the, the, um, the side effects. So right, if I do nothing right. and I get a get a flare up, I, I know how I can handle it because I right. do. And in that session we also talk about flare ups. We talk about setbacks. What are your early warning signs? What, when do you know that you're in a high risk situation? Mm-hmm. Which for me is travel. So if mm, I'm, I'm travel. <laughs> but you know, when I'm yeah. traveling, when I'm not sleeping enough, when I'm out at conferences and I have to do a lot of talking. Um, those are times when I'm really pushing myself and I know that I'm going to get sore and tired and probably cranky. So mm-hmm. I probably need to look after myself. So we look at those high-risk situations and we work out what to do ahead of time and we develop a CAM Cope card. So nice. The CAM Cope card is... Oh, let me see. It's basically a business card like that. Yeah. Um, only it's two of them back to back. I haven't got one handy, but it's like this, so it's back to back like that. Nice. And, over, and it fall, it goes into your wallet, and in the inside you list ten things that you can do that nice. when you're having a flare up. And so that first of that is always stop and breathe out. <laughs> Because, yeah. you know, when we get stressed, the first thing we do is probably hold our breath. Mm-hmm. So we stop, we breathe out, and then there'll be some kind of statement about, okay, now, take a chill pill, <laughs> next step, what am I going right. to do? And it could include the phone number of somebody that you can call. It could include, I'm going to go for a brief walk around the block, I'm going to go off to the toilet. Mm-hmm. you say mm-hmm. and do a stretch and just have a bit of time on my own right. um i'm going to just stand up and walk around my chair just little little things that can tide us through until we get back to home at the end of the day so right. it just right. helps people in the moment mm-hmm. have something that does the thinking for them because in the middle of it you your thinking can often just fall over you oh, just can't think straight. So let's that's write it so down. true. For, for me, I had that for, for claustrophobia. You know, I would go through all the strategies. I would practice it. But then yeah. when it would happen, I'd be like, wait, what are my strategies again? I forget. Yeah. Like, I'm in the MRI machine. What was I going to do? Ah! You know? Oh, that would be scary. That's a hard one. <gasps> well, so the exposure yeah. therapy was um, coupled with ACT really was yeah. the, the transformation for me because I yeah. just learned, you know, I just kind of learned that I could tolerate my own discomfort rather than trying to run away from it or desperately try to figure out how to make it. The goal isn't to make me feel good in the MRI, right? It's to just be able to tolerate the MRI without a massive panic attack. So kind of like what Russ Harris said about like public speaking, you know, like a lot of people's, a realistic goal for a lot of people wouldn't be to feel 100% 
calm and peaceful as they public speak, even though I love public speaking, but most people don't, you know, but to say, yeah, I can re recognize and sit with and make space for the anxious thoughts. And it just yeah. took me a lot of practice. I've seen a lot of people who say, oh, act is so, it's so, um, it makes so much sense. And it's so, and to me, I'm like, it didn't make sense to me at first because I was so attached or fused with the idea of yeah. I'm a problem solver pain and anxiety are a problem, I'm just going to fix them and make them go away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know exactly what uh, you're saying. Yeah, so, that's what we are. Our minds are made to solve problems, but life's yeah. not a problem. It's a, it's yeah. a process. And pain, <laughs> so pain can be problematic, but the problems that pain pose is less often than the solutions that we put in place. They can be more problematic. Yeah. Um, if you have to, if you feel like you have to do, you know, your sets of three sets of ten exercises, and you have no other choice, then that's equally rigid as mm. saying my pain's in the way I can't do it. Hmm. What mm -hmm. we need is that flexibility to be able to choose in the moment what is going to work to take me closer to being me. Right. And that's right. really important. So the the Cam Coke card is a way for people to carry their thoughts with them, to not it. have to do the thinking, to be prepared ahead of time. And then we talk about setback planning. Mm -hmm. So yes, you've had, say under COVID, where we've been in lockdown and your usual way of um, maintaining well-being is going to the pools and swimming mm -hmm. and you can't do that. What can you do? So right, trying right. to have some variability and some choice about what you do is right. um, part of that that sort of process. And that is this whole six weeks of springboard where I I know it's only a springboard. Right. It's only a starting point. It's where people yeah. start and then I'm hoping they can go off and do life. They springboard in, into their life. I love yeah, it. To have some more oh, flexibility great. to think about what do I really want, to have that time. Um, and it's funny, often at the end of the program, people will say that they didn't think of their pain as something they could gain from. Mm. But then they say, but hold on, when I go to a job, I am better at, at stress management than most people. Oh, yes, yes. Because I have to do it. I know how right. to lift and to carry in the, in the safest way possible because my body will tell me if I don't. So right. they start to look on what we learn as a result of living with pain as some, something that we can take advantage of. I, I know I'm tough and I know yes. they're tough. We are the toughest beasts around because we have to be. And that's something yeah. to really celebrate. I, I've really been thinking about that a lot in the coronavirus situation for me personally. I, I, I really doubt that I would have coped uh, in the same way that's kind of been pretty, uh, I don't want to say like, I'm coping really great. I'm amazing. But like, I feel like my experiences with ACT, the acceptance, because I keep hearing people say things like, there's all these unknowns, there's all these unknowns, mm -hmm. like as if it's like, that's the problem rather than like, <laughs> yeah. that's, we always don't know. Yeah. Like we always yeah. know, obviously we don't always have deadly things that are this 
contagious that we don't know. But like the idea of like my psych, my psychiatrist, I've had a psychologist, therapist, and a psychiatrist, therapist. Um, mm. And he, there's one's female, one's male. But anyway, he, because people who are, I keep referring to them as my therapist. Someone's like, which one is, you have, like, what is happening? Um, you have a, a he and a she, like what is going on? Um, but he has said so many times to me, like, can you sit with the uncertainty? Like, the uncertainty, because I kept being like, well, well, I can't deal with the uncertainty. Like, how am I going to fix it? And he's like, yeah. you're not. I'm like, you're the downer, dude. Like, at first. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I get you. I get you now because there literally is just no other way. Yeah. Life is so totally uncertain and random. And I think yeah. that's something I learned after the earthquakes in Christchurch. Oh, yeah. in Christchurch the ones who coped better were ones who realized that actually shit happens everywhere, anywhere, and it doesn't respect yes. the fact that you've been a good person or right. a bad person. It actually just shit happens. So yeah. Let's, yeah. let's go with it. And um, yes, the next earthquake might be really nasty and life will be a shambles again, but hey, we've got through this. We can get through. We just have to do it day by day. Right, right. Oh, we don't yeah. have to go, you know, plan the whole rest of my life out. We just have to go day by well, day. And this is from, I can't remember if you have kids or not, but if when you have I a do. baby. Yeah, okay. I thought you did, yeah. but I just didn't want to be presumptuous. But, you know, I think a baby is a good analogy for that, right? If you have a baby and you think you're going to be able to control everything in the baby's life, you are oh, exposed yeah. very quickly to the reality that that's not. Yeah. Think that the thought of actually a child sleeping through the night. So my children are adult now. Yeah. My son's twenty nine and he's moved back home. Oh wow. Yeah, he's moved back over the weekend because um, his the flat that he was in, the woman as soon as we got to level two, which mm. means we've got a bit more flexibility, she said, "Off you go." Oh. Apparently, she's vegan and she didn't like the fact that he had his. He wanted to have a stereo in the lounge beside the plants, and the plants did not like the electronics. Okay. And she wouldn't let him put any food in the fridge because he wasn't vegan. Oh, wow. So, That's um, pretty committed. Yeah. So, she's, <laughs> so he's come home. And my daughter, and he's got a lovely girlfriend who's got two really lovely boys, and they came over last night. It was just fantastic. Oh, and then my daughter's 26, and she's just left um, Christchurch to move to Auckland. Oh, big, nice. big move for her to be completely independent. Um, wow. And and her job is in social media, so she's nice. a social media marketing person. And of course, everything dried up, and so she was really, really worried because you know all the marketing was supposed to happen now, and it didn't. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's coming back really quickly now, oh, and good. she's rolling in it. But but well, she's having to do a lot of work to get get everything out there. But you know, kids are. I'd always thought that one of my children would go to university and be, you know, this bookish person like me. Well, no, yeah. my son's a, a diesel mechanic. He happens to like philosophy as well, but he's a diesel mechanic. Nice. And Michelle is um, a social media queen and wow. you know, the Insta queen. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I, I talked to her. I'm thinking, okay, she's the next interview. No, <laughs> I've been having fun with social media, but yeah, it's a oh, there's yeah. a lot of strategy to it. I'm sure, yeah. especially right now. Um, but well, yes, we have to be. I think we do better in life if we look to what we want to have as important and we find ways to express what's important to us in different forms. There are right. lots of different ways to be who you are. 
right like being a good dad there are loads of different ways to be a really good father right there's also loads of different ways of being good ot you don't have to just right. dish out equipment you can do lots of stuff and that's mm -hmm. great it gives us it gives us more opportunities to um to express who we are and yes i think what life is meant to be about really oh <laughs> that's such a wonderful point almost to end on i just i have i have one more question though thank you first of all I, i've said this already before i started recording i think but thank you so much for your time because you, you really are like a guru of the pain world um but um, for OT especially, and I know we've had this talk already, but I guess now that we're recording it, you know, that it's, you know, I'm hopeful that in the next decade or so more occupational therapists will pursue pain program, you know, working in the field of pain like you have. Um, oh, oh, really quick, this is not my final question, but do you do the same? Um, so you have a six-week program for the groups of eight. When you work individually or when you worked in the past individually were you covering like were your sessions pretty similar in terms of like that kind of back and forth like problem solving of very much yeah. okay okay I yeah i don't although the, the main difference is that for the program we do have this week we'll do this topic next oh week. yeah like, structure but with, yeah. with individuals it's much more fluid but i still do it's not about me telling people stuff my job right. is to help people connect dots that they maybe hadn't thought were connected before right, and right. to help them come up with oh that's what's going on the realization for themselves and then to experiment with different ways of trying to do things so that ultimately they're the judge of well they're the judge of what works but better than that they're learning some ways to learn to play with and experiment so they're learning right. some ways to problem solve for themselves or ways of being with experiences so that the process is as important right. as the end result. That's so different than how, yeah, I think a lot of people, or maybe I shouldn't say that, but that, that's a little different than that kind of sage on the stage mentality yeah. of, yeah. you know, okay, you come into my office, I tell you, you know, I tell you how to move your body, I tell you what to do. It's more collaborative, you know. It is. And I think we, we deserve that because with pain, we are the experts in what it feels like we're right. also the experts in what our life is going to be what we want right. our life to be and what we're coming to somebody for is some help to get that life not necessarily to get rid of the pain but to have the life we want right. so if that right. person doesn't want to work with me to help me get my life then it's not really working right so right. i've never had an ot except when i had my um, concussion when she reminded me that actually I probably do need to break in between seeing people. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was wonderful. Um, I, and for my pain, I've not had any kind of any successful treatments. I suppose I've figured it out myself over the years yeah. by reading and experimenting, but oh, how I wish that I'd been told that it's okay to feel the pain and to do what matters. Right. You know, it's okay to be willing to experience flare-ups if you're doing what's important. If I'd known that, I wouldn't have spent half my life trying to move properly and, you know, mm. lift properly and sit and live a life that wasn't me. Wow. That's really powerful. And actually, well, my last question was going to be, you know, if you wanted to leave people with any uh, message about pain, but that kind of 
you've kind of just answered that, like that <laughs> you don't have to wait, or if I would paraphrase it, you don't have to wait till the pain's gone to live. Well, no, because life is still happening. Right. Pain is there. And if you wait for it to be gone, for some, some of us, we won't have a pain reduction. Right. It may, not, it may just not ever happen. And that's a whole life that you've spent waiting for it to do the thing that was so important to you. Um, And even if we can't do that thing in the way that we thought we were going to do it, at least we'll begin to do some of the things that take us closer towards that thing that we want to do because it's the quality of how we live our life and the qualities of how we do things that matter. Right. That I can be patient, that I can be um, exuberant, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that I can have a stupid sense of humour, that I can <laughs> things in a different left field way. Those are things that matter. Yeah. So, for some reason, because I'm I'm a dork too in terms of like you know n- loving science. I don't have a PhD, but um, that's like next level. Um, <laughs> I don't. Oh God, I don't know. But uh, the thing I was thinking about is the null hypothesis, right? The null hypothesis is that things, at least my remembrance of it, is that things won't change. Like, so it's almost like approaching your, your pain as if, okay, so this is where you are now, like today, you know, March or whatever the month is, May, May 17th, this is where my pain's at. The null hypothesis is that it's not going to change. Like, and so, and then we, I I think that some people get confused because I think, well, if you accept or are willing to tolerate your pain, that means that you don't want it to ever get better. But to me, I, those that can be held at the same time. Like I hope, like for arthritis, I hope there's a cure. I hope that there's a cure for arthritis. Of course, I do. You know, in my lifetime. But the null hypothesis is that there isn't because there's not a cure right now. You know, and the null yeah. hypothesis is that, that maybe this is as good as it gets. You know, maybe it actually gets worse from now on. And so I'll be. It's kind of like you looking in the mirror when you're a teenager and thinking, oh, like my thighs are too big, or like this, and then you look back at that picture. 30 years later and you're like, I was so beautiful. I didn't even know it. Like you don't know, you know, if you're (laughs) like, I had that experience when I got my car accident because I was, I never had neck pain before. And Mm. suddenly I was like jealous of my former self who only had (laughs) rheumatoid arthritis pain and didn't, or had C-section pain. And I had pyonatal cyst pain, but I didn't have neck pain. And now I'm sitting here thinking, geez, that girl had it really good. You know? Yeah. It's just, that's absolutely the thing it's really weird yeah it's it's Mm. but I think I'm just I mean you know we can talk about this for nine hours but I'm imagining that it must it's it's a hard pill to swallow I think for I'm sure for for some people I um it's almost like and again most of my OT work has been in pediatrics but it's almost there's a little bit of an analogy it's not a perfect analogy but like there's been kind of a sea change in the autism world where instead of saying you have neurotypical people and then you have people with autism and you need to just make the people who have autism more similar to the neurotypicals. Now it's saying, no, 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 we have a spectrum of human beings and neurodiversity. I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir, but so it's teaching someone to function in a world that just happens to be predominantly neurotypical. Um, And so, okay, we're going to have to be able to function in this world just to be able to take care of ourselves. But to say that we can accept that someone flapping their hands, can we just accept that instead of just saying that's a problem to be solved because it doesn't look normal, doesn't look neurotypical, you know? So someone's just saying- The problem is is the question I ask. Yeah. Who's got the problem? Right. Often it's not the person who's doing that. Right. Oh. 
it's yeah. the person looking at them feeling uncomfortable. Well, isn't that something that that person needs to deal with, not the person who's doing what you don't like? Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. a bit like with the pain when I, if I'm unhappy because somebody's not doing what I want them to do because mm-hmm. of my pain, did I bother communicating to them that this yeah. is what I like? Did I? Yeah. And if they didn't, if I did and they didn't follow through, well, isn't that my preference that I'm I'm wanting to push on to them? Right, Maybe right. there are things that I can adjust and, and alter that right. make me more adaptable and cope, cope better. It's, right. It's, you know, we can be flexible. Yeah, and I think actually, and okay, now I'm just going on another topic, but the social, <laughs> social media for me um, has become such a, it's a wonderful resource of support, of course, mm-hmm. with, especially if you have a really specific disease or disability, like, um, like I have a friend who has a child with a very rare genetic disability where there's just no one else that she knows who has it, right? But with rheumatoid, it's a little more common, but, um, but still I see this sometimes it can become an echo chamber, right? Where everyone's like, well, my husband doesn't understand. Neither does mine. Yeah, mine doesn't either. Nobody understands us. And then it kind of escalates. And then you forget to kind of say, well, did you, like you just said, you have to be accountable. Did you ask for what you want before you, you know? What I've learned is um, not to tell, not to go onto Facebook groups of people with pain to say, actually, no medication works for me. And I live really well. Because mm. I get absolutely slaughtered because oh. they say, it's really funny how people can assume that because I'm living well, that my pain is obviously not as painful as theirs. Oh. And then in the same breath, they say, and other people think that my pain is obviously less than theirs. And how do they know? It? Well, you know, pot calls kettle black. Yeah, Actually, my so- pain's my pain. And it gets in the way, but I've found ways around it. And no, there mm-hmm. isn't a drug that works. I wish there was, mm-hmm. but I don't know that I want to try the, the side effects. Mm-hmm. I probably will because I've tried everything, everything that's been offered. <laughs> Curiosities, yeah. Well, I, yeah, but I, I just feel like, you know, in the, in the end, I, I would like people with pain to also remember that other people with pain have their own experience yes and what works for them might not necessarily work for you and vice versa and it doesn't mean that that because somebody's coping well it doesn't mean that you've got less pain oh it's a different way of living yeah and this is a slightly different context we had just the other day someone emailed or dm'd me on instagram and they were like how did you get into remission or how long have you been in remission i'm like oh i'm not in remission at all like i have you know, I have mild pain most days and sometimes it goes into moderate and sometimes it goes down to sub mild. It's never gone though, you know? And they're like, Oh, I just, and I, but in that case, they, they weren't trying to minimize my situation. Mm. They were just literally just assumed that because I'm kind of out there making videos and dancing and, you know, I mean, of course there's a difference. Obviously if I was in the most severe pain I could possibly imagine, I wouldn't probably be able to dance, but, um, but just, it, it's really hard to, yeah, you just don't know looking at someone, whether they're, and yeah. uh, we all tend to. Actually, you can't tell whether mm-hmm. I'm having a good day or a bad day, yeah. really, because yeah. it's internal. And I can put on a brave face, as most of us learn how to do. And sometimes yeah. we do that. And sometimes it's important to do that. Mm-hmm. Other times it's not. And yeah. we want that. It's the serenity prayer. Yeah. Know? 
give me the wisdom to know what I can change, the wisdom to know what I can't change, and the wisdom to know which one is right in front of me right now. Oh, that's the hardest. I just made this funny TikTok video about like, it's again, that expectation versus reality where, you know, you have the higher the expectation, the less likely reality is to meet that. Right. So yeah, yeah, I think it's when you first get diagnosed with something, you're like, okay, well, my, my coping strategy is to, is to be a problem solver and I'm going to go figure out what the solutions are and I'm going to do them. And then the doctors are like, there's medicine to try You're like, great. Okay. You know, point. A to B relationship, try get diagnosis, try medicine, feel better. And yeah. then you realize it's actually like this super long iterative, you know, process. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Oh, and finding little ways to really find yeah. stuff. But it's funny that, yeah, you mentioned the thing of the comparison trap because I, I just mm-hmm. saw someone else mention that on social media too. So there are people try to get that message out that, you know, don't compare even within groups and actually speaking of autism again, because that was just where my heart was for a long uh, while in the OT world is there's a lot of parents that, that fall into that too. Well, my kid, you don't understand because your kid only has mild autism yeah. or, you know, it's the same with, oh, or, or, all right, well, your RA is only moderate. It's like, we're all having our own experience and you know, it's all valid. So if you want people to find you to follow oh, your blog, maybe, or is there anywhere you yep. would want me to direct people to? Yeah. So um, health skills blog, which is yes. www.healthskills.co.nz. Um, it's just a WordPress blog, but that's where I've been writing for a long time. Great. Now. She has um, some amazing stuff on there about pain and, yeah, mm-hmm. OT and other disciplines. It's just wonderful. Um, and I'm all, I'm on social. I'm on Facebook under Health Skills as well, and I post cross post into the air. Um, I'm a little bit on Twitter, not very much. That's um, right. Yeah, just a wee bit under Adamus Free, which is um, I'm one. I'm going to change that name. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was way back in the day when it was thought better to, to separate my professional oh, stuff yeah. from me. But I've decided actually I'm me and that, you can take me as me or not. So um, if you follow that. me on Instagram, it's Bronnie Lennox Thompson and there's not very much pain stuff on there. There's an awful lot of um, silversmithing and places that we've gone and beer. <laughs> yeah. Hey, full person, holistic view of who you are. Yeah, and I'll also, yeah. I'll post for the, because I know that in the Exploring Pain Research and Meaning group is really yeah. active patients and providers, and then yeah. the um, OT, activating OTs for ACT and OT. And I'm really hoping there's going to be more OTs who learn about ACT because it's just, it's, it's such... a fabulous way of working. It's really affects, I mean, for me, again, I learned it in the context of anxiety and, and panic attacks with claustrophobia, and it's ended up becoming so relevant to chronic illness, and it's relevant to any challenge, any challenge, really, like, yeah. not just... challenge, and, yes. and you don't have to have a diagnosis. To yeah. Have it. You can have a situation like COVID in lockdown, Perfect. and to respond to it, and that's yeah. Well, even little things like, you know... Just living, just everyday living, because there are days when you feel cranky and you don't want to do something and you need to just stop for a moment and think, what, you know, what's my value? Yeah. How do I want to be in this situation? To be a better person, to be a better, to be a person that I want to be. Right, right. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. 
don't forget to check out my latest courses and resources on myarthritislife.net. This podcast is brought to you by the Beginner's Guide to Life with Rheumatoid Arthritis, a four-week online education and support program that I created from scratch to help people with inflammatory arthritis learn everything they need to know to navigate the social, emotional, physical, and logistical challenges of rheumatoid arthritis and related diseases. The next group is going to start in August 2020. Learn more at myarthritislife.net or bit.ly slash arthritis course, all in lowercase. You can also connect with me on my social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. Check out the links in the show notes.